everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So I've said a couple times on here that I have no intention of this podcast becoming like a breaking news show of some sort. I just don't have the resources or inclination, and that's probably better left to actual journalists. I also have you know another episode that I've been thinking about and planning uh, about being the next one, but there is some huge insidery U.S. political news that just broke today, kind of a Friday news dump, that I have a huge desire to say things about, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that. Um, I should say for my audience, uh, those in my audience who are more here for the general sort of global perspective than they are like the details of U.S. politics in particular, you might want to save yourself however many minutes this ends up being and come back for the next episode, although I promise I will try to make this interesting. So with that said, close listeners of this podcast have heard me say the name Senator Kirsten Cinema. A few times, usually in a kind of annoyed tone of voice. I'm going to take a minute here to explain who she is, why my occasional side-eye at her on the show has now turned into, like, a full-blown primal scream of anger and betrayal, <laughs> and what that'll mean for the Senate, for the balance of power in the United States, etc. So... Kirsten Sinema was elected to the Senate by the skin of her teeth in Arizona back in 2018. Her election was probably the first hint that that state was moving in a more interesting direction politically than the solid red that it had been up until that point for decades. When she won, she ran very much as like a low-key moderate, which I thought made a lot of sense at the time, considering that Arizona had always been a very, very red State, also given the fact that she is a young, divorced, bisexual, atheist woman running, again, in a super red state. One could definitely be forgiven, however, for being a little surprised at just how moderate... I'm I'm not sure if moderate's the right word. How much of a centrist Democrat, I guess, she's been uh, during her time in the House before she was elected to the Senate, and then in particular in the Senate, and especially over the last two years, when one considers uh, some interesting factors about the uh, long and windy path that Senator Sinema trod to make her way to the Capitol building. For example, um, she apparently grew up, like, kind of homeless for, like, part of her childhood, like... um, One interesting factoid that I've ripped from the headlines of her Wikipedia page, I knew sort of about this before, but went to double check, Uh, you know, she grew up in like an abandoned gas station for like part of the time that she was a kid, uh, apparently. Um, Her first foray into actual politics was not in fact with the Democratic Party at all, uh, which I guess was not left enough for the version of Kirsten Sinema that existed in the early 2000s, but with the Green Party, which... For those who aren't super familiar with it, the American Green Party, it's not like the European Green Party, which is a sensible, you know, progressive party that participates normally in politics. The U.S. Green Party, 
really is is a you know a a wackadoodle coalition of like extreme anti-military activists and like anti-vaxxers who every so often run ridiculous quixotic spoiler campaigns which tend to result in Republicans winning important offices like in the year 2000 when George Bush would definitely not have been president without the Green Party candidate Ralph Nader in 2016 when Hillary Clinton probably would have won were it not for votes that went instead to the absolute lunatic Jill Stein. So she comes into politics as like a Green Party activist writing like letters to the editor crusading against capitalism and the World Trade Organization and the World Bank and stuff like this. One thing I thought was really funny is uh, at one point she she apparently criticized then-senator and former vice presidential candidate as a barely Democrat, Joe Lieberman. Uh, she said, uh, he's ashamed of Democrats. I don't even know why he's running. He seems to want Republicans voting for him. What kind of strategy is that? Which is ironic, because Joe Lieberman at the time, and during the rest of his time in Congress, yeah, was basically like a barely Democrat and like corporate America's best friend. Which is funny to me, since that is now exactly what Kirsten Cinema is. Since she became a Democrat, got elected to the state legislature in Arizona, and then eventually to Congress, and then in 2018 to the Senate, she seems to have been on just a slow rightward march uh, from where she started out when she got into politics. Now, cinema having moved at least a little bit away from the rather extreme left from whence she came uh, might be actually kind of a good thing. But the extent to which she's moved to the right during her time in public office has become unbelievably frustrating to virtually everybody in the Democratic Party except for her and her fellow contrarian uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Now, I've done my fair share of complaining about Joe Manchin as well, but I gotta say, at this point, the extent to which Manchin bugs me is almost certainly eclipsed, and I'm speaking even before I get to the news that I'm about to discuss here, uh, the extent to which Manchin has bugged me is eclipsed by the extent to which cinema has for a couple of reasons. For one thing, in Joe Manchin's case, you know, I, I disagree with a number of his positions, but, like, I kind of get it. I mean, he's, you know, he's an older coal guy from the Trumpiest state in the country. He is the only human being with a D next to his name who could ever get elected in the state of West Virginia. For another thing, although I often find his policy positions to be a little incoherent, I find myself extremely tired of his obsessive loyalty to unhelpful Senate protocols he at least comes out and explains his positions. He's quite willing to talk about them. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> coherent or not, he will tell you why he thinks what he thinks and why he's voting the way he's voting. Neither of those things apply, however, to Kirsten Cinema, who, yes, was elected in what was then very much considered still a red state. But at this point, you really can't compare Arizona and West Virginia politically. I mean, West Virginia is like a Trump plus 60 state. Arizona, well, Cinema won it in 2018. Biden won it in 2020. Senator Mark Kelly was elected in a special election in 2020. And a couple weeks ago in the midterm elections, the Democratic candidate won the governorship. The Democratic candidate won the secretary of state race. The Democratic candidate almost certainly will have won also the Attorney General's race once all the lawsuits and nonsense around that race are wrapped up, and Mark Kelly was elected again as the senator for a full term. 
the entire statewide slate of Democratic candidates in Arizona won this year. There is no, yeah, boy, I wish she voted with us more, but she's from a really tough state excuse anymore at this point. Certainly not when Sharon Brown is, you know, from Ohio. We have Joe Manchin from West Virginia. I mean, bottom line, that logic doesn't apply anymore. Secondly, unlike Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema is like a ghost. Like, it's, it's impossible to find out what she thinks about a bunch of us. Like she, her behavior is in a number of ways inexplicable. Not only in the sense that it doesn't make it doesn't cohere in terms of A, her background, and B, her political situation, as I just described it. Literally, she just doesn't talk about it. Like, she's famous for being just a complete mystery. Barely talks to the press. Um, does not do a lot of public events, as I understand it, in Arizona. Famously, during the negotiations around a couple of the huge, important parts of the Democratic Party's agenda over the last two years, the Biden administration has, like, barely been able to get her on the phone. Nobody knows what she's doing, what she's thinking, or why. Rather than work with her colleagues very much, she seems to spend a lot of time off, like, doing triathlons. And then, like, a summer or two ago, like, disappeared for a while to go intern at a winery in California. True story. I mean, I have no problem with public officials having a life. That's very cool. But, I mean, like, maybe also tell people what you're thinking from time to time after they voted for you. Bottom line, she's a little odd. A little weird. Also, just sort of a mystery as to why and how her positions on various issues have evolved over time. Now, I'm definitely a very, very strong supporter of reducing the absurd amount of money in American politics, as I've discussed in a bunch of earlier episodes. But I'm also rarely the first guy who, when somebody doesn't vote exactly the way I want, impugns the motives of elected officials, at least in my own party, on the basis of, oh, they're just doing that because of their rich puppet masters who told them so. I think that some politicians on the left, <coughs> Sanders, <coughs> uh, have done a real disservice in their willingness to just declare that if somebody doesn't vote the way they wish that they voted on everything, then they're doing it because they're corrupt. That has probably hurt the Democratic Party, I think, by creating yet another dumb purity test issue where we then basically aren't allowed to take money and the Republicans are. So then we're just unilaterally disarming for some reason. I prefer more the attitude of the fictional presidential candidate on the West Wing, Senator Arnold Vinnick, who said something to the effect of, look, if you can't shake these people's hands, take their money, and then look them in the eye and tell them no, you don't belong in this business. Bottom line... I hesitate to try to answer the whole what the hell is Kirsten Cinema doing question by saying, yeah, well, look at her donors. But I gotta say, according to Data for Progress, Kirsten Cinema has gotten quite a bit more money from lobbyists than the average senator. And there have been times where Big Pharma and the financial industry in particular, where she definitely seems to have some pretty strong ties, have benefited from the way she does things in Washington. This last summer, for example, when we passed the extremely important Inflation Reduction Act, which included critical investment in green energy, lower healthcare costs, a whole bunch of other really important things, some of the worst tax giveaways to rich people and corporations left over from the Trump tax scam bill from back in 2019 were not repealed, which cinema was apparently solely responsible for blocking. Even Manchin wanted to cut those things. That is a bad look, especially on a Democrat. All of that is to say, 
Kirsten Cinema during her time in prime time in Washington has been uh, frustrating to say the least to almost all Democrats uh, in elected office at least. Not exactly not exactly a loyal member of the party. And today, now I get to the lead that I buried for 12 minutes, she made it official. As soon as the dust settled after the surprisingly better than anticipated Democratic election results in the midterms, just a couple of days after we succeeded in sending Herschel Jr. Whopper packing in Georgia, thus locking in a 51-seat Democratic majority in the Senate, Senator Kirsten Sinema announced that she is officially going to leave the Democratic Party. Okay. So this raises a set of implications and, of course, a set of questions, since in her typical cryptic, mysterious way, Sinema didn't answer a whole bunch of pretty important questions about her intentions around doing this. Like, she put out some ridiculous kind of, like, gauzy, oh, we in Arizona, we're tired of partisan politics, we just want to solve problems, video that didn't answer any important questions about her intentions. For example, there are actually two other registered independents in the Senate who realistically are part of the Democratic caucus. Senator Angus King from Maine, who's like a moderate Democrat, and Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont, who is, you know, basically on the far left end of the American political spectrum, who is registered as an independent, but, you know, is part of the Democratic Party in the Senate. Senator Sinema did not really make it clear in her announcement whether she will also be caucusing with the Democrats or whether she will switch parties to become a Republican. I don't think so. Or whether she'll just be like her own little entity, which, to be fair, is kind of what she's been doing already, but it's kind of an important question. Why is it an important question? Well, for the last two years, the Senate has been split 50-50, which means that technically the Democrats sort of control the Senate because in a 50-50 split Senate, the vice president is the 51st vote and the vice president, Kamala Harris, is a Democrat. The thing is, in this situation, there has to be this weird sort of power-sharing arrangement worked out, which kind of weakens the Demo like the Democrats don't really get to function as like a full majority party in the Senate in the way their committees work. There's less power in terms of subpoenas, I believe, a number of things where it's like, yes, technically the Democrats are in the majority, but they can't do a bunch of the like majority stuff that you usually can when you're in the majority. However, as I mentioned a couple days ago, Raphael Warnock beat Herschel Jr. Whopper in uh, the runoff election in Georgia, which resulted in the Democrats until today having a 51-49 seat majority, like a real majority in the Senate. If Cinema's now going to go and caucus with the Republicans, then presumably we will be back to this situation that we have been for the last two years, where there's some weird power-sharing arrangement between Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, and Chuck Schumer. More likely, I think, is probably that she does a sort of Angus Kin thing and, like, caucuses with the Democrats so that she's able to maintain her committee assignments because if she goes and caucuses with the Republicans, it'll just be, like, giving up a position as a member of the majority to go and hang out with the minority, which wouldn't make a lot of sense uh, politically from her standpoint. But, like, these would be good things for us to know. It would be very helpful if she 
you know, stated her intentions a little bit more clearly. Because as of right now, <laughs> I'm viscerally angry about this because it's a giant middle finger to the party that she has ridden to a seat in the U.S. Senate. But the implications could vary from, I mean, like, you know, if she were to go and switch parties to the Republicans or caucus with the Republicans in some way, this would have very negative implications. Um, if, if, if what she's going to do is basically become, you know, a young female Angus King, then, you know, then it doesn't have that dire implications. It's just yet another strange attention-seeking stunt from a senator who really seems to like attention but never actually want to talk publicly about what she's thinking or doing. That all said, moving past the governing implications and, you know, my rage, I do see some interesting, in a bad way from my perspective, political implications of this. And I'm starting to think as I talk <laughs> uh, that this might have actually been like a stroke of genius from her in terms of her own political survival, that is. Because as I've started saying, from the obnoxious, elaborate thumbs down she gave on the Senate floor to let everyone know she was voting against raising the minimum wage to her various obstruction around other parts of the party's agenda over the last two years, Kirsten Sinema has managed to piss off just about every single member of the Democratic Party not named Joe Manchin. Furthermore, Arizona has definitely become a little bit less deep red since the time that she was elected in 2018. For example, as I think I can't remember if I mentioned this, but I think I did, uh, Mark Kelly, uh, the other senator from Arizona, is hardly Bernie Sanders, but he is a normal Democrat who has managed to win a Senate seat in Arizona in a special election in 2020, and then again uh, this year alongside a Democrat who won the governorship, a Democrat who won the Secretary of State race, and a Democrat who almost certainly will win the Attorney General race in that state. Virtually every single statewide office in Arizona is now held by a Democrat, all of which will make it a lot harder for Kirsten Sinema to justify to the Democratic Party base, yeah, you know, you may be pissed at me 60% of the time, but you kind of have to take it because, you know, I'm like Joe Manchin. I am the only person with a D next to my name who could possibly get elected in this state. That is simply not true anymore. All of these factors were coming together to make it almost inevitable that Senator Sinema would have faced a primary challenge in 2024, and I have a feeling it would have been a pretty strong one. Um, former Marine Congressman Ruben Gallego, definitely in my top five list of favorite members of Congress, a potty mouth after my own heart who drops F-bombs on Twitter more than I do in my private life, which is saying rather a lot. Um, he is a economically liberal, national security aware Democrat who I think would have absolutely kicked Kirsten Sinema's ass in a primary and was making it pretty clear that he was going to do that. Now, to be clear, I hope Congressman Gallego will still run as the Democratic candidate in this Senate race in 2024. The thing is, though, with Sinema having left the party, this becomes a whole lot more complicated for a couple of reasons. For one thing, because uh, her not being a Democrat, you know, she can't really be primaried, which means she will appear in the general election whether or not there is another actual Democrat on the ticket. 
This means in a 50-50 state that there would be a three-way race between a Democrat, a recent former moderate Democrat, and given the nature of the Republican Party right now in Arizona, probably a lunatic. I'm not even saying that to be insulting. I mean, I am, but it's also like... I've mentioned a couple of times that Democrats carried every single statewide election in Arizona in this last election. In some cases, that's because the Democrats put up good candidates. Mark, uh, Mark Kelly's a good senator. He's a good guy. He, you know, he makes sense for that state. The Democrat who ran for governor, she was really good in her previous job, but like as a candidate for governor, not so much. Uh, you know, several of the Democrats who won these races did so because. The Republicans running against them were, like, certifiably insane. I mean, like, the Republican candidate for Secretary of State in Arizona was basically a Yosemite Sam cosplayer whose, like, level of election denial reached a degree of detachment from a reality that it became almost comical. All of which is to say, and I desperately hope that I'm wrong about this, but my initial kind of back-of-the-napkin analysis of this is that I imagine that if the Democrats do, in fact, put up a serious candidate in Arizona in 2024, we could be facing a situation where the Democratic candidate gets 30% of the vote, Kirsten Sinema is able to pull off some percent of the Republican vote and some of the more moderate Democratic vote for another 30%, and then... Senator Carrie Lake is elected with 40% of the remaining vote. This is ironic because it's actually almost exactly what Joe Lieberman polled in 2006 when, as I recall, younger Kirsten Sinema was not really his biggest fan. On a more serious and potentially scary note, this could very well turn the Arizona Senate race in 2024 into a giant game of chicken. Wherein Kirsten Sinema, rather than making the argument to Arizona Democratic primary voters hey, you better pick me, I'm the only person with a D next to my name who can win this state, will make to the party nationally some form of the argument, hey, remember in 2022 when you stood down in Utah and instead backed the moderate pro-democracy Republican who ran there as an independent against the absolutely crazy extremist anti-democracy Republican incumbent senator in that state? <laughs> you better do that here or you're going to get saddled with Senator Kerry Lake and after experience six years of her prancing onto the Senate floor, matter-of-factly monologuing about how the 2020 election was rigged between, because something-something bamboo ballot boxes Chinese Hugo Chavez haha Paul Pelosi has bad home security. Now this is unbelievably frustrating. Because Arizona is most definitely not Utah. Democrats, <laughs> real Democrats, certainly can win in Arizona, unlike in Utah. But I'm afraid they probably can't win overwhelmingly enough to overcome a situation where a strong, incumbent, independent candidate who sort of fits the label that low-information voters love to give themselves, I'm economically conservative but socially liberal, is on the ballot splitting up the sane vote. I don't know, man. I really hope I'm wrong. Among the many, many, many things that Kirsten Cinema hasn't yet said publicly as whether she's even planning on running again in 2024. Maybe we'll all get lucky, and this is actually just the first step toward announcing her retirement from professional politics because she's been promoted to deputy manager of the winery she interned at a couple of years back. But yeah, this definitely lets some air out of the 
we didn't get crushed in the midterms balloon. In any case, that's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you feel like you're getting something out of this show, hit subscribe or follow or whatever it is on your preferred podcast platform. It would also really help the podcast reach more people if you like, leave a comment, or share it with others who might like it. So please, please do all those things. I really do appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at O-W-S-K-E-N-D-A-L-L. And if you want to check out Congressman Ruben Gallego's epic Twitter page, he is at R-U-B-E-N-G-A-L-L-E-G-O. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast's new and improved artwork, although for some reason it doesn't seem to appear if you're using Apple Podcasts. And of course you, for listening.